welcome to Reboot Republic, the podcast that goes behind the headlines and looks at the big issues in this republic of inequality. We are the podcast of solutions and the podcast of hope, and I'm your host, Rory Hearn. And today I'm joined on Reboot Republic to discuss the update of Housing for All. The uh, latest review is out. I'm joined by Tony Groves, uh, the producer of Reboot Republic, um, Tortoise, of Tortoiseshack Media, the Echo Chamber, um, and he's also going to tell me before we go into housing about his poor broken toe. Ah. And we might even get an update on how patrons are keeping us going. But uh, we're going to talk as well investor funds because I was talking to Tony before about Tony has a background in finance. I was like, Tony, you need to talk to us more about your background in finance and you know, give us the insight. What are these investor funds thinking about and up to? Um, so we're going to have a bit of a chat about that. So I'm looking forward to this. Tony, welcome to Reboot Republic. It's good to be back, Rory. Um, no, I just 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 on the on the flip side, I am going to plug. We've uh, we travelled up the Derry, um, myself and Martin, to cover the 50th anniversary of Bloody Sunday. We've spoken to some of the families, um, some of the members of the families that that will be um, doing the walk of remembrance. Uh, we'll be there ourselves, and um, some of the coverage we've gotten, I think, was really really good. And I want to say thank you to the Museum of Free Derry for welcoming us in and allowing us to record within the museum. I thought that was a real special treat. And it was said something about the coverage that the Tortoise Shack does and, and how we're held in regard um, across the island of Ireland. I, you know, you just don't get that invitation. Um, yeah. Really, really. And I thought it said something to, to be welcome in. And it's a great place to, to have done it. Um, I do think the, 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 the audio tells the story um, and some of the moments getting to walk the streets of Derry. I'm, I, look, if you're a patron, you've probably already heard some of it. We've released it as as we were recording. But if you're not, you'll hear it when we, when we when we put it out as one as one piece. But nonetheless, I was really flattered, and uh, it was a privilege to sit there and see the civil rights marches that took place 50 years ago and what what happened on the streets of Derry. So enough enough about that, Rory. But I just yeah. you know. ah, no no it's it, it's important and it's an you know an important uh, moment in history in our history uh, our collective history on this island. Um, it's probably 20 years since I was in Derry uh, speaking with Eamon McCann and of course, um, you know, seeing the murals and the history and of course, housing was core uh, central to and, st- and still is civil rights movement in, in, in Derry. And, and make no mistake, um, that is one of the, we had a great interview with Aoife, Aoife Moore from The Examiner, who herself uh, is a, her family um, lost uh, Patrick, Patrick Doherty, um, Patrick O'Doherty in in Bloody Sunday, but she talks about it in, in terms of non-sectarianism, non-green and orange. She talks about it in terms of inequality. You know, um, the the epidemic of, as they say, drug drugs epidemics, opioid epidemics, in access to housing and access to educational attainment. And Derry finishes bottom out of all of those. Even now, you know, fifty years on, yeah. these things have haven't improved as much as they should have for the lives of the the ordinary citizens of Derry, and there very much is a village feel to uh, what is a, a, the North Second City. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's incredible, and of course that vision, you know, for civil rights went beyond, as you say, you know, the sectarianism. It was a vision for equality across those issues. So that was, you uh, know, I really look forward to to listening to that. Um, so tell us, Tony, about your hairy toe. Uh, look, I've broke. I've broken another toe. This is probably the third toe in the last twelve months, Rory. As you know, I'm. <laughs> I'm just getting too old for all of this. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not the spring chicken I thought I was. But look, I. The reason we're here today. Let's tell the truth. We want to talk about the update 
for housing for all. Um, and there was a couple of things that struck me, Rory, and I was delighted that that you you were up for this. Now, I'll obviously give my insight in terms of the finance and the and the and the money aspect. But what did you think of the set piece and how it was brought out? I mean, I know for a fact, having spoken to one of the journalists who was at the at the press conference, that they were given the briefing document five minutes, 118 pages five minutes before the press conference started. Here it is, folks. Um, and you've no time to go through it, no time to ask any reasonable questions because we're going to be on the plinth now. Yeah, that's interesting. All right. I'm not surprised because, you know, housing for all as a plan, um, you know, on the surface seemed, you know, a good plan. And, and there's no doubt that there are good parts to it. Um, but as an overall plan, you know, and I pointed out, you know, when it was launched back in September, there was a number of flaws, fundamental flaws with it, primarily around the over-reliance and the dependence on the private sector to deliver housing. Um, the overwhelming, they talk about, you know, this this target of 33,000 homes a year, um, and the overwhelming majority of those are to come from the private sector. Um, when you say when you say the overwhelming, do you want to give listeners an idea percentage wise? If I said there's a hundred houses going to be or homes going to be delivered, Rory, because we have to we have to move away from this mindset of apartments not as as homes. But um, but if I said you a hundred, we're talking way in excess of uh, you know it's not like it's it's a drop in the ocean. The private market has been has been geared up to 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 deliver the vast majority of this. Yeah, to, they they say that they're going to build ten thousand social homes a year. Hmm. So that's essentially and and in the region of two and a half to three thousand what they call cost rental affordable homes. Um they say that they're going to provide in the region of fifteen thousand um as they say, you know social or affordable homes and so that leaves over half of all the homes are going to come are reliant on the private market but the problem is even within the social housing and affordable housing delivery the majority of that is currently coming from the market because they're buying it up from the market and that is really something that isn't been talked about that you know the state itself is worsening this housing crisis by the amount of housing that is purchasing, it is doing the same as investment funds. It is forward purchasing off, you know, private developers, um, which of course takes homes away from potential home buyers, but it doesn't add a supply, an additional supply. Um, and I was really struck. One of the things that I was struck by in, in reading the review, I, I had tried to get through as, as many pages of it as I could, but I was really struck by the misleading. Like they, they led with this, you know, this is about home ownership and this is about. Um, how, you know, giving renters, you know, the Tornish, the uh, Leo Varadkar talked about, you know, this is about getting renters out of the rent trap. And there was two points in relation to renters and one point in relation to the home ownership I want to make that there was in it. First of all, they said that the issue of tenure security of tenants is dealt with, that with this new policy measure of um, the extending the possibility of long-term leases for private tenants, that issue of tenant security is dealt with. That's utterly untrue. That tenants can still be turfed out um, by a landlord when they're selling a property, when they're moving, they want to move a family member in, or they're refurbishing. So there's no real security of tenure for tenants. Everybody, I need look, I 
don't don't take Rory's word for it. Look at what Threshold had said. They're they're the experts here, and they've said there's no real no real. Why wouldn't they there. take my word for it, Tony? No, I'm just saying we we are we are obviously of a certain bent in terms of how we look at these things. So excuse me, I'm an, coming at this. I'm presenting my academic analysis now. I I'm not. I don't disagree, but I'm telling you, if you want to talk to people and who are who who do key people want to do homelessness prevention. They'll tell you Rory is right on this. And that's the main thing as well, because too many people take the soundbite, listen to what the Tarnished has said, and just think that sounds good and move on. Yeah. And there is a real issue with that. Like they, so that, that is one really key thing that needs to be highlighted that there is no genuine security of tenure for private rental tenants in this country as long as they can be evicted when a landlord is selling a property or these other no-fault evictions. And I think that really needs to be got out there um, and challenged back. And it is misleading because under the in the review, the progress report, they have the the like the housing for all, whatever section it is, and it says, you know, increasing security of tenure was one of the goals of housing for all. And then they have like after it completed, you know, still to be done. And after that one, they have completed. Mm. And I'm like, that's fucking untrue. It's not completed. No. Tenants can still be evicted. That is just not true. Well, this is very much like the state saying we're giving you the right to ask for um, uh, work from home. Well, what they actually said is we're giving employers 13 reasons to say no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so there's. it depends on what side of the fence you sit. But I'm also, um, I'm looking at it, Rory, and then the point that comes across so much is that the state are also the main player in the market, even though the money is from private investors, which makes no sense. It's double bubble. But to put that in context for, for listeners, say, for example, um, Dunleary County Council built zero, zero affordable homes, social homes. They built zero, but they purchased, you know, um, they purchased these from AHBs and from the market. And then these numbers go in. But what you're saying is, is true. We're paying top price for them, and then we're denying, you know, families who actually might want to go into enter in. They're competing against the state for very limited resources, and ultimately, some of the ones that the state then take, we're then leasing back on these deals. So it's it just seems it is, and it's something that it goes back to, and, and um, research I'm doing at the moment, looking at you know where did this come from, this purchasing from the market, and it goes back to. There was um, a shift in the early 2000s um, in planning. It really goes back to part five, that whole thing of, you know, the 20 percent of private developments were to be social and affordable housing. And essentially that was telling that was introduced in 2000. Um, so you're talking about, you know, 22 years ago, essentially that policy, which was introduced by Fianna Fáil, um, said to local authorities, you are no longer building housing. We are now getting housing from the market. And really, since then, we've been in this position where we've been buying homes from the market, social housing. But that is a it is a problem because fundamentally it does not add to supply. And in this way, you know, the economists are right. If you don't have enough supply, then clearly you do add to house pressure, pressure, house price pressure. So if the state itself, what should the state be doing? The state should be adding an additional supply on top of the market that takes pressure away. But instead of that, the state is adding to it. And so this is a fundamental flaw. And and really, you know, the the government is being dishonest with the figures and the stats around housing for all and and the numbers they're using. You know, we're going to produce, you know, they say they they change the language all the time. It's like now it's like we're adding, we're going to add 
nine and a half thousand or 10,000 social housing units to the stock. Most people hear that and they think, oh, they're going to build nine and a half thousand social units. No, they're going to add nine and a half thousand, which means they'll probably build about 2,000. If they're lucky. If you're lucky, Mm -hmm. they'll buy about 6,000 and then they will lease about another, what are we at? Six, seven, about another 1,500. At least. At least. So. and can I come in on that, which is really important because that has been the model, but it was that change of language actually occurred when rebuilding Ireland was the plan before yeah. this. And it was, you know, they, you, we can all go back to the time when they used to actually count folks that when they reconnect a property to the ESB, they'd say that was a new build. Do you remember this Rory? And they would, yeah. they would count it as a new build. Another one they were, they count still currently count as new builds, by the way, are, are ones that they've, so was maybe in Nama went to, ex-vulture fund now leased back they count that as a new build in terms of a housing stock and obviously we don't even own it we're just leasing it um so that there's so many of these the language is really important and i and i think also for listeners benefit i'd, I'd be interested to get you to your definition of this but it, the report keeps going on about, you know, well, you know, we fell short on cost rental and we fell short on we, we delivered zero um affordable housing but not even cost rental and affordable housing doesn't even mean what it actually means in in European context. We've changed the language. It's So when we say affordable we here, we mean relative to the market, not relative to income. And the same goes to, it's, it's, I think when we spoke, last spoke to Darrell O'Brien before he started uh, hiding from us, he was kind of of the mindset that it was, it was kind of cost rental with a little bit of a margin. Yeah, I think there is real issues there. Killian Woods actually did an excellent piece in the Sunday Business Post last last weekend on this, the whole question of affordable housing and what is affordable housing. Um, and affordable housing should be related to income. So what proportion of your income is it is taken up? And not your take, not your actual gross income, but your take-home income. So the international definitions vary between a quarter of your take-home income to a third of your take-home income is a reasonable or affordable housing cost. Can, can, I, um, can I just say something from, from a financial point of view? If you go for a mortgage, they would say they want maybe 30% of your income paying, servicing that mortgage debt, okay? Yeah. And then they, and then they throw, they stress it. So, so they say if interest rates jump 2%, yeah. and, and, you're, and you're anywhere around that 40% hovering around that, you just don't get the loan. Yeah. But the state but, here don't actually do that. The no, state and here, interestingly, is also when you go for a mortgage, they take into account childcare costs. Yeah, yeah. They include that. And oh, no. all outgoings. All yes, but they in particularly they look at things like childcare because of it's so expensive here. Oh, yeah. And that's you know, was interesting in the figures that Social Justice Ireland showed, which were that we have a million people in poverty after housing costs. And why that's so important in Ireland is because the other costs like childcare and now increasingly energy are massive. And so it really matters. And so the housing cost burden really matters. So back to your question about cost rental, if we're looking at cost rentals coming in, the rents in cost rental homes coming in at around €1,000 a month, €1,200 a month, they're not affordable for anyone on an average income. You know, rents that are affordable are probably in the region of 600, 700, 800 a month. That's an affordable rent. So there is a big issue here around that. Um, And the other thing I want to talk about was, and and get your view on this, was the investor funds, Tony. Um, When I looked at the figures and the housing fraud plan, I think was for the first, sorry, the review that they released and probably why they released it so late 
um, was because when you go down through it, there's two things that jumped out to me. One is that they're very explicit in the opening pages where they say that they're saying that they need in the region of 12 billion a year mm. to be spent and invested in building new homes. About 2 billion of that is going to come from the state. 2 billion. So you're talking about, you know, 10 billion of 12 billion, right? Over 80% is going to come from the private market. Then they qualify that by saying the overwhelming majority of that 10 billion is going to come from international investors, Mm. which they then go on to say is normal in European markets. And I'm just struck straight away by the Leo Radker's uh, comments about homelessness, saying, you know, we had a normal level of homelessness. What they want to do is normalize the role and involvement of these global investment funds in the Irish housing market. They are going to dominate it. And then when you read down further towards the end of the report, there's a little, um, a little one of their targets from the housing fraud plan was to, oh, I can't remember the exact wording of it. I actually have it here. It, it's worth a read. Uh, uh, worth um uh, calling it. It's it's about these um the uh, road shows mm-hmm. that they were doing with the investor funds and, 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 are, actually, and are doing and, and have planned to yes, roll out. Yes. Yeah. So what they say is that so I'll read it. So what they say is that uh, we must attract and estimate additional four billion of private capital to meet our growing housing needs, while a proportion of this private capital will be sourced domestically, the majority will be required from international sources. The private capital coming from well-established investors, I love that, well-established, is a normal facet of housing investment in many of our neighboring European countries and beyond. That's not true. Then they go on. (laughs) In fact, fact, other states within the EU have taken steps to to stop that being possible. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Because you see how damaging it is. Yep. They then go on to say later on, this was the bit that, that they didn't obviously want uh, journalists to see, was that they say in point eighteen point eight of the housing for all plan is to lead communication and engagement with institutional investors, including trade show events, to communicate policies and encourage sustainable investment in residential accommodation. That was the action from the housing for all plan. And they then go on to say that this is being delivered on an ongoing basis to the work program of the Housing for All Investment Work Stream. To complement this work, the investment group, who the hell are the investment group, has invited funding partners to attend and present to the group on their role and experience in funding residential housing delivery. This work will continue in 2022. Who the hell is the investment group? I, 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 you know what? That is a really, really important question here. Because when, you know, they always ask who benefits um, Q, Q Bono, Rory, and that is the reality here. I mean, I, I, I want to go back and just remember, remind listeners that it was um, uh, one of the Vulture Fund advisors famously said, Ireland is the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. And, you know, that is in their words. And if you recall the abuse you took for naming um, funds as vulture funds and cuckoo funds, and I can tell you, there's not one of them gave a shit. Okay, <laughs> they don't. They like there was people taking offence on their behalf on the yeah. media, and and you know paid lobbyists um, from the uh, Irish institutional investor, um, uh, and we know who we speak of. Um, you know, going on on the airwaves and saying we might spook them at, at, at a return of seven percent per annum. Absolutely not, folks. Um, yeah. Uh, and we're, we're locking those things in. I, I suppose when you talk about these funds, 
like if we want to bring it down to like brass taxes and you mentioned Rob Curley and, and you know, uh, Alfonso who works with Rob and he pointed out one of the funds, which was quite funny, but also quite disturbing was, um, was backed by a British arms dealer. Yeah, that's right. You know, when you look at where this money comes from, this is, it's, it's untaxed. It's corporate profits for some of the worst types of businesses and industries that we want to be associated with. And not only are we inviting it here, we're locking it in for at least three decades now. Yeah. And so if we want to start unraveling it, we, we're, we're, it's like signing, you know, why, why we fought so hard against something like CETA, because if you want to get out of something like CETA, it takes a decade. Yeah. This is going to take 25 years minimum to unwind some of these deals. And if we have those investment courts that CETA um, legalizes, CETA is the is the free trade agreement between Canada and and the, and the EU folks. Just in case you're not aware, if we do legalize that, it means that a Canadian pension fund can then say, "Well, we'd actually factored in a four percent return every year for for the next twenty five years from Ireland." You're telling us no because you've now said. You know, you want to actually have the state deliver um, a competitor in terms of affordable and, and and genuine cost rental. We're suing you for the difference. Yeah. Ima- imagine, imagine. Yeah. I, and again, if you think I'm exaggerating, go check the video I posted myself, myself, because I sat on the on the on this webinar where where Leo Varadkar was the key guest, the guest speaker in front of many of these vulture funds. And he said to them pre during the pandemic message to you guys is stick with us. That was the word to you. Stick with us. We'll be back. Things are bad at the moment. There's a pandemic, but we'll bounce back uh, and, and stick with us. That's his words, not mine. So, and, and I, I think what's going on is that they have essentially kind of cut up those who need housing and they went, when we look back at the, the massive public outcry um, over the investor fund purchase of the estate in Minute, what they went after and said, well, we'll go after the people who can, who we're talking to, uh, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil's uh, voter base, as they see it, those people who can afford to buy the traditional uh, semi-D house. And that's who we'll say. And we'll say investor funds can no longer buy those. Uh, and hopefully that'll keep them happy and we'll we'll say we're building you homes and we're building a certain amount of those homes for sale and we'll give you help to buy and shared equity. But the, anyone else, which is 80% of the population of new households being formed, people stuck at home, you're essentially being handed over to the vulture funds to rent. Um, and when we look at the, the can, scale can I, of what they're locking, as you say, what they're locking in here, they have become, what they're doing then is politically they're saying, our targets are numbers. So we want to get to 33,000 each year. We don't care if 10,000 of those are built to rent unaffordable apartments because they help us meet our numbers. Mm-hmm. And so they're, they have locked in this dependence because in Housing for All, they're saying that the majority of money in housing is going to come from the private market. And the majority of that, because the Irish banks aren't lending to small builders and developers, is going to come from international funds. Our housing plan is utterly dependent on international funds for delivery. Hmm. And so we're going to, and that's where this whole, the roadshow stuff, we're essentially going to do what they want. We're going to do what they need. And we're, this isn't really out there, is it? In terms of an honest discussion, they're still portraying no. No. that we're all, oh, we're, you know, we're sort of against these funds and oh, we're, you know, they're not really there, but these funds are central 
I, the I, government's delivery plans. I was sitting in um, a, a rented house a few days ago, um, and I, I won't give any any other information away other than what was interesting was when I was talking to the the, the tenant, the tenant's family were there. They'd had a situation, Rory, which is not unusual, whereby someone within the family had had, had housing difficulty and had to move back in. You know, yeah. it, yeah. and the company said, no, we don't want that person there. They need to go. Um, and the company, without, without plumassing people, like obviously I said, look, here's, you know, maybe go through X person, talk to this person at Threshold. Let's see what we can do. You know, read, um, the RTB, all that time, all that takes time. You have to advise people. But one of the main things that struck me was when I looked into it, Someone said the name of the 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 the, the company, and then I said, oh, and I knew straight away because I'm that type of nerd. If you if you go up three levels, the company's Goldman Sachs, and people tell you Goldman Sachs aren't here operating as a vulture fund, but yeah. they're operating four or five of them. Yeah, and and they wanted to put this guy on the street because they were thinking, and and one of the things they said to the to the the, the tenant is. If you don't, we'll put this up and we'll and we'll re-rent it again at a better, you know, at a better rate. Now, whether they get away with that with the with the RTB is a different argument, but it was Goldman Sachs ultimately behind that. And that's yeah. who, you know, they if you follow the money in Ireland, it's it's cruel, it's callous, and it's absolutely rem, rem, like money has no um yeah. no compassion. It's just here to make money. And, and- and, and it goes absolutely. No, you're right. And this is this whole notion that, you know, they're talked about as if there's some benign, you know, uh, benevolent funds who just want to help us out here. They're, <laughs> the, the endeavor, the business model of these companies is constantly maximizing and increasing the rent. And they will do that through evicting tenants, to constantly, you know, upping the rent to different forms of it they, and, and coming in at, you know, renting these new market rents at really unaffordable rents. That's what they're about. They're not about providing affordable housing. And also what it's bringing in is the shareholder model into housing. Because in the past, single landlords, bad and all as they, they can be and were and maximizing rents, they weren't themselves coming under this massive pressure to make these returns to shareholders, which is what a lot of these companies, these real estate investment trusts are. So they're under constant pressure to maximize the return so that investors keep investing so it's this whole, which we know is fundamentally problematic in capitalism wider, is now being brought into our housing system. I'm going to go and say something that I didn't think I was going to talk about today, which is, makes me even a little bit more nauseous. There's That has been brought in. And also then on the flip side, we see Irish passports been bought to invest in social housing now. Yeah, I mean, like Rory, when you think about that, we had an amnesty. No, it's not even an amnesty. It was Helen McEntee said it's a once in a generation, uh, once in a lifetime opportunity for people to naturalize their their citizenship in Ireland. Here's a pathway to citizenship. It's open now, and there's loads of people that I know who have fallen outside of it because for three months they were a student, even though they've been working and yeah. you know doing X, Y, and Z. But if you've half a million quid. Yeah. And you and you never sat, you never put a foot here. You can go into one of these funds. Like if you and I were able to do this, if we had the money, I, I and I put on my fi- financial cap, I'd say to you, Roy, let's do this because this guarantees yeah. us a return. You know, this is and that's without the benefit of getting an Irish passport. In effect, it's just insane. And yeah. we and we're ba- we're baking that into our social housing model, and we're baking that, and we're calling it social housing, and it's. 
It, no, the whole, it's not. It's gross. It, it is. And the question then, Tony, just in terms of looking forward, because when we look at, you know, of the, the 20,000 homes that were the new uh, homes built last year, 5,000 were apartments, so a quarter mm. were apartments. Overwhelmingly majority forward purchased by investor funds or built to rent. Um, when I was looking at the CSO stats, they did a snapshot survey, which um, suggested that half the people in work in Dublin wanted to move down the country. Half. That, you know, with with remote working, which we know now, you know, will be challenged at a certain level by employers. But there's no doubt there's a shift going on and, and it will continue um, with people relocating out of Dublin um, and the cities, you know, into more smaller towns of where people can. And we're seeing massive pressure on house prices and rents around the country um, that the question comes to me in who's going to live mm. in these like because I can see them all around Dublin, like they're going up you know, everywhere, the thousands mm-hmm. of these apartments, who is going to live in them? Right, like, I mean, at 1,900 uh, euro a month, who, who can afford to live in them, Rory? Griffith Woods has advertised 2,200 for a two-bed apartment. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's what is it? It's, it's somewhere halfway between your house and mine. Yeah. Um, and it should be a location where a family should be, be growing up and there's, you know, it's schools close to the city. But this is not, that's not what, that's now, it's now been, a built-to-rent model, and that's what we're doing. But I, I think you're right because it makes no sense to be doing this in the second least sparsely populated country in the EU. One thing we have is an abundance of land if we decided to, even within Dublin. You know, like we, yeah. Mel, Mel Reynolds has spoken about this for, for, for the longest time since I've known him about the overabundance of state-owned or state-controlled. That's important because they keep but- saying... We all but, I, but I'm thinking, Tony, even for if you were an investment fund, put on your investor fund hat now. Yeah. Would you not be getting a bit worried? Oh, go- I, 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 that's why I that's why I said to you, I want I want it to be a perfect storm. I want to have investor courts um, implemented that I that I can protect my, my returns. I I'll, I'll actually rewind the tape back to post general election 2020 to another webinar I sat in on with um, with the same group of kind of investors and vulture funds and the rest of it. And the guest of honor that day was Pat Leahy because he was going to tell, who was the political editor of the Irish Times. And his idea was to tell these investors what the results of the election meant. And if you recall, you know, it was the Sinn Féin surge, what's going to happen, who can, put a, who can put a government together? Yeah. And, and Pat actually warned that some of these implications, um, because it was asked, what about Ireland 2040? They had locked in their returns for the next two decades. That's what they were looking at. And it, it, what would a, a Sinn Féin government mean to that? And he said, it could it could actually mean that those, those aren't adhered to. But he said, and he was right, he said, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael would ultimately coalesce and this will be the government that we're giving. Sinn Féin won't be able to put together enough people on the left to, to form a government. He was He was correct. But that was the. But when you think about that in that context, they've already factored in returns out to 2040. They said this on on a on a webinar in 2020 that this is what we've this is what we factored in from Ireland. That's why I said earlier in this podcast that it's going to take decades to unwind. Um, but are they working on the? But I, but again, I come back to if we're saying potentially, and lots of people are that Sinn Fein are in the next government, and they change the tax rules and they start to ramp up seriously affordable housing delivery, then the one thing 
that these funds identified, <laughs> and Killian Woods again highlighted this uh, in the article. The one thing that they see as the threat to their return on investment is a massive, is a significant increase in state delivery of affordable housing. If that starts to happen, then you do start to see potentially, and with other changes going on, relocation, you do start to see that rents potentially start to fall if there's a control and cap on new rents, for example, you know, that those measures, it, it it's not as lucrative. And and the thing I, I think, I are they going on the basis that essentially the demand is so strong in Ireland and the undersupply is so high that really there's not going to be any, unless the only thing that could change it was if the state massively ramped up its delivery of affordable housing. I'd, I'd say there's two threats and you're you're right. Yeah, if the state did that, that's very, even under a Sinn Féin government, I think that's unlikely that they'll massively ramp it up. But nonetheless, putting that aside, they'll be under their... their that is going to be... That the is, government will be dependent if we, on of, it. I agree with you. That's like, that's not saying, I'm just, I, I, I don't know what they're going to do when they get into government. Maybe my natural cynicism is coming across, but I will say, that the other threat to this is, as you as you well know, is that Ireland. Um, like if you think take nine companies out of Ireland, fifty percent of our corporate tax rate goes away. Um, they are here for certain issues, absolutely. But let's tell the truth: they're here for favourable tax regime. How we process it, how we how we how we how we use it. We've seen the situation whereby they're they're now purchasing properties themselves. Google is one of the largest landlords in in the in Dublin one Dublin two area themselves now. That is that is you know landlord to to staff at this stage, Rory. Um, we have a, our big threat is actually the flight of international capital from multinationals, much more than it is from these vulture funds, because the vulture funds themselves are predatory. If there was better returns in Australia, they'll go there in the morning. They yeah, would. They but- would. But there is some of them now, and we look at, for example, Greystar, and I'm researching this, who have bought up the Griffith Woods development. They are long-term here Oh yeah, to deliver housing, but not deliver housing affordably, to maximize their return from housing. And I would have thought those type of funds would be looking now at Ireland and going, mm, I'm not so sure. And the point I'm making here is that the government's plan is dependent on these funds delivering. So if the funds start going, I'm not quite sure now, uh, is the returns from Ireland going to stack up? We'll start pulling back and then it opens up, well, actually, the the number of units been delivered aren't but, there. But, so obviously but they, but they will be a positive. They will but do the government that, then would have to come in and actually start delivering. They will do that because we've seen that developers don't build until they get to a certain level. I mean, the amount of land that's been hoarded over the last decade since the crash is is phenomenal. And they will, like, it's 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 a myth to say we can't. This was a country that could build 90,000 uh, homes a year on average, some, some between 2004 and 2008, Rory. Yeah. And, now, and, now, and now we're told how, how great it is that this year they're going to exceed their target that they set of 31,000. What they didn't say in that state sentence, by the way, which was quite funny from the housing for all things, the reason they're going to do that is because they failed abysmally, obviously during the pandemic, that the, the amount of completions that are ready to go, you know, there's a lot of quick, there's a lot of quick wins that are going to complete now and that'll bump up the figures. But if you average it out over the two years, they're still behind. I always yeah. find, you know, and I do think people, journalists, not all of you, but some of you do your bloody jobs. Don't take the press release and don't don't report it. Say say on average over the last two years they're still behind. Uh, you know they're going to be ahead for twenty twenty two. But you know let's 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 do your let's do our jobs. Uh, the the other thing, the final thing then is that I think um, 
if we look at the question of capacity and construction costs and inflation is a major, major issue. And to me, it comes back to the need to set up a state construction company. We need to set up a semi-state that builds up the capacity quite quickly for the state to be delivering because we're utterly dependent on the private market and that just pushes up prices more. I think that would be a game changer. Genuinely think like the something like the when they when it talks about the LDA, the LDA had a potential to be a game changer if the LDA went into the business of building. Yeah. But the LDA went into the business of outsourcing and it became just another cog in the wheel of international finance. But what what when you talk about a, a like think about it from an employment uh, an employment benefits. So the, you get people who are subcontractors to subcontractors working for X company that's selling to a bill to rent and you know it's sold out, they build one, they sell it out, and that builds the rest of them. We could avoid all of that, get a better tax take for, for the for the economy, by the way, Rory. Um yeah. uh, make have actual genuine apprenticeships and sustainable because when we talk about things like Vienna, we talk about other countries, one of the things that they do significantly better than we've always done is when things happen, they maintain every year. A undercurrent of the state is still going to do those twenty thousand homes. You know, if if the, the private market disappears, and they're you know say they're building forty five at some point sixties, even if they disappear, those other countries, as you know, are still got that undercurrent of ticking over, saying the the social affordable cost rental model is still ticking over those new those new properties. I mean. I, I, I want to go back to Finland and, and talk to, to, to Dan Nickstrom again and talk about the fact that he, he arrives in from Ireland um, and has a city center apartment at rent control prices. You know, all of these things that people yeah. go, and then they'll tell you it can't be done. And then they, and you go, but it, there it has been done. They go, yeah, but this is different. Mm. Now, I, I think just to, to finish, the, the question then comes with, with the, um, the sort of ending of the. Um, restrictions, COVID restrictions is protest. And yes. are we going to see housing protest emerge? And I would be very surprised. I know um you know that if there isn't going to be significant protests because if, the government is, you know, saying, oh, you know, housing for all, wait and see, you know, or like, you know, stick with us, you know, we're doing this now and it's a plan. And it's it's just such echoes of rebuilding Ireland, you know, Owen Murphy, Simon Coveney said the exact same thing. Oh, we've got this plan now, you know, stick with us and it'll work. And you're just going, this is just the same crap again. Um, that, you know, I think there's going to be protests. I'm going to say one thing, and here's a, this is a challenge back to you. If there's no talk of a protest, we're going to organize one, Rory. <laughs> I'm telling you, I, I am not going to sit on my hands anymore when it comes to this because I've been in Derry. I've watched what 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 the families have done since it happened. They were shamed. They were told that the fact that they were speaking out was making people uncomfortable. Presidents and Taoiseachs wouldn't meet them. They were told that they had to go back, you know, that, that they were associated with um, with par paramilitaries. They were told that, that, you know, oh, we couldn't be seen to talk to you. Here they are, the eyes of the world, 500, 500 press passes requests alone for, for, for Sunday. They made that difference where the British government stood up and apologized. They've made that difference where things can change. We, you, you, Rory, you have built that platform for yourself. I think we need to push whether it's whether it's as part of a group or not. But if it's not, 
A small, a handful of people can change the world. I, I firmly believe that now, listening to these people in Derry, that you can make things better just by persistence and 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 pugnaciousness. And you've got that, and we can we can push that. Even with this little platform, we can start something. So more power. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I do. I do agree. I think that now that you know the, the with the restrictions being lifted, I think there is a real onus on on all of us to go. Okay, what can we do now to make to highlight this and get people together who are affected and really start to put this out there, the human side of it and the, and and the extent of public you know opposition and anger and alternatives that are there and really push it because we can't wait. You know, potentially. Are we two, almost three years potentially from a general election? Yeah. Like, it's too long to wait. You know, mm. things have to change sooner. Things can't be let go on. Um, at a minimum, you know, tenants have to be given, you know, the removal of the the um, ability of landlords to evict tenants on sale. Like, there needs to be that moratorium brought back in for tenants to, to keep them in their homes at a minimum. Let's stop talking minimums. Let's 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 push for 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 some better than that. You know, let's yeah, let's agree. push. I let's agree. push for better. I agree. Thanks, Rory. Thank you, Tony. Enjoyed that. That's a that's an important one, and it's important that you know we keep discussing this. We keep it on the agenda, and it is it is good to chat through with you too and hear your you know the financial investor expertise side of things as well is important. Can you imagine? I just want to say this as an investor, as a, if I put on my 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 hat. Oh my God! It makes so much sense to go into Irish property when it comes to low tax, low um, low risk. I mean, so much of it is so good, and it's yeah. so we we we've really given them so. Now I know you're pointing at risks, but you know these the market volatility. Does it really matter when the guys from the IIP can write for the Irish Times every couple of weeks and tell us why we need these people here? The I the chief economist of Davy Stockbrokers writing for the Irish Times this week and not mentioning that they've two point five billion. Under fun, under management, wrapped up in this industry. I mean, folks, it's happening in plain sight. Mm-hmm. This stuff, this is we got to. We have to see it for what it is. Um, and the truth is, we can do so much better. And I, you know, thanks, Rory, for 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 pushing it so hard. But I, but I do think you're, you're you're spot on. People need to get out on the streets. Yeah, we need we need the we need, on the, we need to be on the streets. We need to be talking about it. We need the referendum on the right to housing. And we need to, to push on. Listen, Tony, great to talk to you. Thanks you so much. Take it easy. And thanks, Tony, for that, for coming on to Reboot Republic, chatting that. The, you know, I hope you found that engaging, interesting. Um, and yeah, it is important that we we do start taking action again um, and, uh, you know, point out what is possible, what is needed. Um, so that's a challenge to all listeners as well. Um, and thank you for listening. And thank you to our patrons, our supporters, who keep this show on the road, who fund the cost of production by giving what they can each month. Um, This Reboot Republic is a production by Tony Groves of Tortoise Shack Media. It is completely reliant on listeners' uh, subscriptions supporting us each month. We have no sponsorship. If you can, uh, give what you can Um, each month. I go over to patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack and sign up and you also get all the podcasts first to you when they're done and you get access to the podcast across the tortoise shack platform as well and the um you get a entry to the live sunday show every sunday morning which covers the issues of the week the tortoise shack live sunday show so lots in there please do support us to keep going in 2022 
we really need it so we would appreciate that to help us keep this show on the road thank you very much and we'll talk to you all soon 